We're launching an out-of-this-world conversation in our first episode of the Technology Today podcast. Coming up, you'll hear from the leader of a NASA space mission. His team is about to send a spacecraft 6.6 billion kilometers from Earth to get a close-up look at an object frozen in time. What is this mystery object? What can it tell us about the universe and about our home planet? That's next on our very first episode of Technology Today. We live with technology, science, engineering, and the results of innovative research every day. Now, let's understand it better. You're listening to the new Technology Today podcast presented by Southwest Research Institute. Hello and welcome to Technology Today. I'm your host, Lisa Benya. Today, we are talking deep space exploration and an upcoming event that will be a first for humankind happening New Year's Day 2019. Our guest today is Dr. Alan Stern. Dr. Stern is leading NASA's New Horizons mission. This is the mission that brought us spectacular, never-before-seen images of Pluto in 2015. And now New Horizons is on to its next astonishing adventure in the Kuiper Belt, just weeks away from the farthest planetary encounter in history. A staggering 6.6 billion kilometers from Earth. From there, New Horizons will beam back information about an object known as 2014 MU69, also called Ultima Thule. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Stern. It's great to be here. Thanks. Now, did I say all that correctly? That's, that was all right on the mark, yeah. Well, let's talk about Kuiper versus Kuiper. Which one mm. is it? Is it's it, whatever you like. Whatever feels uh, right. It, the whole region is named after a mid-20th century giant in our field, a planetary scientist from, uh, uh, from Holland uh, who uh, came to the United States where he made his career. His name was Gerard Kuiper or Kuiper or, or something like that. Anyway, it's a Dutch name, uh, and uh, uh, it's very well known now because this whole third zone of the solar system, the most distant reaches of our planetary system, are named after Gerard Kuiper. So we are going into the Kuiper belt to take a closer look at Ultima Thule, as we have, as you have so um, sweetly named her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I want to delve into the details and the science in just a moment. But first, I can only imagine your anticipation about this huge moment. What does this mean for you personally? Well, you know, spaceflight's a team sport, and 2,500 men and women uh, have been involved in building New Horizons, and then a much smaller group, um, between one and 200, uh, on the flight team. Uh, and uh, for all of us, uh, this is really the capstone event to this legendary exploration of the deep outer solar system, exploring worlds farther than have ever been explored, exploring uh, the dwarf planet, the iconic planet Pluto, and its system of moons. It sounds like science fiction, but it's not. Um, we, with our mission partners and, and a team, uh, really designed and built this interplanetary spacecraft, launched it back in 2006, the fastest spacecraft ever launched. It travels about a million kilometers every day. That means it could go to, from the Earth to the moon and back a couple times every day. Uh, and, uh, and it's going onward and onward and not only making history, but, um, you know, 
not people say, are you rewriting the textbooks? I like to say we're writing the textbooks about this region of the solar system. No spacecraft has ever been there before. And we're bringing all this high-tech gear, cameras and spectrometers and other sensors, uh, to extend the forefront of human knowledge. So you mentioned this does sound like science fiction, but this is real life. This is amazing, to, to put it lightly. Um, so let's talk about the object itself, the object known as Ultima Thule. When was it discovered? How was it discovered? Well, we discovered Ultima back in 2014. Uh, we had... Uh, uh, been directed by NASA to build a spacecraft that could go on after Pluto and keep exploring uh, to study the small building blocks of planets like Pluto. And we tried that using the biggest, baddest telescopes on the ground, and we couldn't. We couldn't succeed. We, we just couldn't find anything that we could reach with our limited fuel supply until uh, we enlisted the Hubble Space Telescope to help us in that search. And in the summer of 2014, the Hubble found multiple targets that we could have gone to, out of which we picked one, which we ultimately named through a naming contest, Ultima Thule, which means beyond the farthest frontiers. Oh, that's it. So some, um, someone outside of NASA named it? Was, was right, it? on the web. Mm -hmm. huh? yep. and, and, that... and then uh, the way the website was set up, people could nominate names, and then other people could vote them up or not, and we had literally a thousand nominated names. This one rose to be one of the top vote-getters, and we picked it out of the top vote-getters as our favorite. Well, it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> is it, what out. language is that? It, it's Latin. Latin, yeah. yeah. All right. So this object, what do we know about it right now? We don't know very much about its specifics. It's about the size of, uh, uh, of San Antonio, actually, by coincidence. Ah. Uh, it's, uh, you know, Pluto's like the size of the United States. And we were looking for something small that's one of the leftover building blocks. The orbit that this is in tells us that this is kind of a bedrock sample of the original material out of which those distant planets were made. Because it's so far from the sun, as you said, 6 billion kilometers, that's 4 billion miles. It's an unimaginable distance, but it's so far from the sun that conditions out there are... Uh, extremely cold, almost at absolute zero, just 40 wow. degrees above absolute zero. And that cold is an asset from our perspective because it, it, it um, preserves the material and what it's made of and even preserves the original geology, we think, so that we can use the exploration of Ultima, the photographs, the compositional spectra, the other things that we'll be doing as we fly by um, as a window back in time to that formation era when the planets were being built. And no one's ever been to anything like this, so, so, so wild and formed so far from the sun and so well-preserved. So I don't really know what we're, we should expect. We're going in with our eyes wide open and a full battery of sensors, and we planned every type of observation we can possibly fit in. The team is geared up for it. We finished all of our mission simulations, and uh, we're just weeks away from starting this, this exploration. So close to this amazing moment. Um, and you were discussing why it's so important that it would, it's basically frozen in time. What do we want to learn from that material? What is the root of what we want to find out? It's all about origins. It's all about understanding the material out of which the planets were born uh, and what the building blocks of these small planets uh, were like so that we can connect the dots. We call it the dots of accretion, how the planets accreted to their present sizes. Uh, and uh, there are more detailed questions like, does this does Ultima have moons? Does it have rings? Does it have an atmosphere? 
Uh, what types of surface geology will we see? We'll be able to see into the interior uh, with windows like craters or fissures or other things. Uh, but like I said, we're just going in eyes wide open. We have a very healthy spacecraft, a very capable spacecraft, much more capable than even the storied voyagers uh, that explored uh, the giant planets. And so uh, we, are, we, are, we are gunning to write the textbook, as I said. We're ready. I wanted to talk about the shape of Ultima. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of this double sort of double ball. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. What, what can you tell us about that odd shape? Well, as I said a little earlier, you know, Ultima is about the size of the city of San Antonio. Which we are in right now. Which we are <laughs> in right now. And uh, uh, we don't really know its, its true shape. We have some indications that it, it, it looks kind of like you took two spheres or almost kind of lumpy spheres and, uh, and uh, uh, put them in contact with one another. But it might be that those two uh, lobes aren't in contact, that they're orbiting one another. Mm two separate bodies, like what we call a binary. Okay. Uh, and it may even have smaller moons as well. Uh, we'll just find out when we get there because the, the imagery that we're going to get is going to be very detailed. If we flew over the city of San Antonio at the same altitude that we'll fly over Ultima mm. and look down at the Southwest Research Campus, we could literally count the buildings wow. on the campus and tell their shapes. We couldn't spot cars, not quite that good. Um, but the resolution is just phenomenal. We could make street maps of San Antonio yeah, that's at amazing. the resolution we'll have. So we'll know a lot about it uh, by the time that this flyby is over. That's close. That's exciting. So let's talk about the spacecraft itself, New Horizons. It's, it's phenomenal. Um, what are some of the unique characteristics of New Horizons? Well, New Horizons, uh, we designed it in the early 2000s. As I said, we launched it in 2006. It was built at the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab, our main partner, uh, in this project. Uh, so it was built up in Maryland. Uh, it's a very high-tech little spacecraft, and it is small. It was built to be small and lightweight so we could launch it as fast as possible. Uh, it only weighs about 1,000 pounds. That includes the fuel that's on board. It's nuclear-powered because we're so far from the sun that you can't use sunlight, you can't use solar arrays. Uh, it's, uh, it has onboard computers and navigation systems, a communication system to relay data back to the Earth and to take instructions and commands, flight plans from us, uh, onboard flash memories to store the data. It has a propulsion system so that we can aim and home in on our targets and also uh, uh, control jets that allow us to turn the spacecraft and point the cameras and spectrometers. Uh, so it's really a complete spacecraft system, even like much larger systems like the Cassini-Saturn orbiter that weighed more than 10,000 pounds, but we miniaturized everything down to the extent that the seven scientific instruments on board together weigh less than just the camera on the Cassini-Saturn orbiter. And all seven together only draw 30 watts. That's half a light bulb. So it's amazingly power efficient. What does it take to build a spacecraft that you know is going to go farther than any spacecraft in history? What are those beginning moments like where you're sitting in a room putting um, plans together and you know that this spacecraft has to make history essentially? Well, let me answer by first saying very generally the two most important ingredients to doing anything like this are first having uh, uh, a talented and committed team of people uh, and the New Horizons team is just unbelievable. It always has been uh, because it was such a prized mission to be a part of. And, and secondly, 
you know, by the early 2000s, when we designed it and built it, uh, we had been doing interplanetary spaceflight as a country uh, for 40 years. And so there, we really, it, it sounds corny, but it's true. We stood on the shoulders of the giants who invented how to do all this mm-hmm. with the early missions and a lot of mistakes back in the 60s and 70s, and they perfected it in the 80s and 90s. And we just built the latest, highest tech version of that. The way you start is uh, you write down your objectives uh, and you break those objectives down into very detailed requirements. For example, we wanna learn about Pluto and the Kuiper Belt, so we have to bring cameras and spectrometers and that means that they're gonna collect data, so we need a radio telecommunication system. And then if you calculate how many images you're gonna take and how many spectra and the total number of bits, that tells you how big the memory has to be and then uh, from that, you can also calculate uh, how big a transmitter you need to be able to send all that data back in a reasonable amount of time. And you can just keep breaking it down into more and more detailed requirements for propulsion, navigation, guidance, for the onboard computer systems, for each of the scientific instruments. And when you get all those lists of, of all the requirements, then you can start your design to satisfy those requirements. And that's a long process. It took a couple of years. Uh, and uh, during that time, we also selected our launch vehicle, uh, the Lockheed Martin Atlas V, which is just a giant rocket the size of a downtown skyscraper in San Antonio. Uh, we put that under contract in a special purpose third stage, and we contracted the Department of Energy uh, to deliver a nuclear power generator fueled with plutonium. Uh, and then we built our mission control and as the spacecraft parts came in, we assembled it and tested it and tested it and tested it some more. And, uh, uh, once it was ready to go, we shipped it down to Florida on an airplane. Uh, and then we launched it on the 19th of January, 2006. Then it was go time. And, it was um, go. all of that hard work, I imagine you're watching in anticipation to wondering, is it going to work the way we planned? Is there some apprehension there, or is there pretty much certainty at this point that it's going to do what it's meant to do? Well, you know, we've gotten pretty good at spaceflight, uh, so it ought to work. But there are, uh, you know, there's no backup for New Horizons. There's no New Horizons <laughs> 2. If the rocket had failed, if the spacecraft uh, uh, hadn't behaved correctly, uh, if we ever made a mistake in the way that we're flying it for a dozen years now across the solar system, it would have been game over. The same thing is true when we flew by Pluto, and it'll be true when we fly by Ultima on New Year's Eve. Uh, uh, if we don't get it right, there's no go back. Uh, we are traveling at 30-something thousand miles an hour, and we will be gone past Ultima, and there's no way to make a U-turn and come back and do a redo to try it again. So we work very hard to try to think of everything, to test everything, and uh, and to create plans that are resilient Uh for example, if we're a little bit off course, or if Ultima is not exactly where we expect it, uh, we've, we've definitely built buffers in for those kinds of things, and actually for a lot more. What was it like that moment that New Horizons flew by Pluto? I imagine you're in a room, and uh, there's a lot of excitement. When you got those that data back uh, with never-before-seen data, images, right. What was that like? Well, we were at our mission control. We had about uh, almost 2,000 VIPs and guests there. Uh, uh, Many dozens of people from Southwest Research Institute, the science team, some of the engineering team, uh, also uh, a number of dignitaries and executives, and then, of course, officials from NASA 
and other, other government agencies, uh, almost 200 members of the press. Uh, and uh, we, did it, we knew exactly when the spacecraft would fly by to the moment. And we did a 1098 countdown. Uh, and, uh, and then there was a big celebration. And uh, within a matter of hours, we had the first high-resolution images that had been transmitted back over all these billions of miles of space coming back Amazing. by radio signal at the speed of light. So whereas it took our spacecraft nine and a half years at this amazing high velocity to get out there. The radio signals can travel back in just the space of a morning. And uh, we built up those images and, uh, and displayed them and it went completely viral. Yeah, I, I, it's amazing. Amazing is a little word to describe what you and your team have done for, uh, for all of us to be able to see that and experience that. That's beyond amazing. So. And Maybe real, we'll recreate this New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. It is. It's larger than life. You know, this is the farthest exploration that's ever been done in history. Uh, no world at any distance. We are a billion miles past Pluto, and Pluto itself is hundreds of millions of miles further than any planet that had ever been explored before it. These are just unimaginable distances. And, uh, and to think that, uh, you know, this is why so many really talented people wanted to be on this project is to be a part of something that you really feel like is not only larger than life, but that creates a legacy, you know, for all mankind, for, for, uh, for knowledge. And that sets an example of what people can do when they have a dream and they work very hard. Yeah. Do you ever pinch yourself and you're like, this is my life. This is what I do for work every day. This is spectacular. I do, but I think all of us on New Horizons uh, do that from time to time. You know, you work on it every day and you think of it as the people you work with and the computer, you know, the tools you use on your computer. But when you really think about the majesty and the scope of it, uh, like I said, it sounds like science fiction, yeah, but it's not. It's crazy, crazy in the most amazing way. So there are some risks, correct, with the New Year's day flyby. There are. Uh, what are some of those risks? What are some of the concerns? Well, you know, um, uh, all exploration involves risks. Uh, in our case, there, um, the, the first thing to, that probably people will be interested to know is this is a lot harder than Pluto. The spacecraft's older, the power levels are lower, it's farther from the Earth and the Sun, so the light levels are a lot lower, it's darker out there, and it takes longer to communicate if a problem occurs. It takes... 12 hours round trip from a problem occurring to our knowing about it on the earth to being able to send up rescue commands. 12 hours is a long time if something's going wrong. Um, uh, we don't really know much about Ultima, the target. We don't know whether it's surrounded by debris, and you don't want to fly through debris at 30-something thousand miles an hour. That would shred the spacecraft. So there are a lot of risks out there, and of course there's the risk that, that um, we haven't done something right, that there's a bug in our computer code that's the flight plan or that uh, something on board the spacecraft, which has been very reliable, but there's always the chance that, um, because we're stressing it a lot when we do the flybys, it's having to do many things uh, all in a short period of time, uh, that uh, something could fail. Uh, but we, we plan for that too. We have software on board the spacecraft that can detect uh, failures in the guidance system, propulsion system, the main computers, and switch to backup units, for example. So we try to think of everything we can think of that's practical uh, but if we weren't taking risks, I don't think we'd be doing our job. And I, I understand you had some dress rehearsals, so to speak, for the big moment. We have. We've done uh, dozens of, of uh, 
of training and simulation exercises uh, to, to make sure that uh, the team is well prepared, but also that all of our software tools and all our analysis tools are ready to go too. And we are. We're at that point now. Uh, we're just uh, uh, less than eight weeks from the flyby, and we're bearing down an Ultima, which is still in our cameras, just a dot in the distance, uh, uh, still almost 50 million miles away. And, but every day we take the better part of a million miles off that. And 33 minutes into the new year on January 1st, 2019, the spacecraft will swoop down over Ultima three times closer than it flew by Pluto. And should we start, start returning imagery and other data types uh, the very next day. What a way to bring in 2019. <laughs> it is. Amazing. Um, what is next for New Horizons after the, the Ultima flyby? Well, first, you know, we're on a five-year mission to study the Kuiper Belt. And Ultima is uh, what I call the centerpiece of the five-year mission because we're going so close to Ultima. But we're actually studying... Uh, almost 30 other objects in the Kuiper Belt with our telescopes and cameras and so forth. And we have a lot of that left to do. We're also studying the environment out there, the radiation environment, the impact environment, other aspects of it, uh, the gas from the sun that's out there, uh, to understand the environment that Ultima lives in and Pluto lives in. Uh, that mission uh, will continue until 2021. And by the way, during that period, we have to transmit all the data back from Ultima. And we take so much data that it's going to take more than a year and a half from January 1st, 2019 into the late summer of 2020 before the last bits of it are back on the Earth. Uh, and then uh, we're going to write a proposal to NASA to keep exploring. The spacecraft's healthy. It's got plenty of power to run out into the 2030s. Uh, it's got enough fuel to do uh, several more extended missions. And we'll map out what we can do, possibly including another flyby even further out. Uh, and other types of science. And uh, if NASA thinks that that's worthy of spending their money, then they'll put us under contract to keep exploring. Tell us about a little bit more about the Kuiper Belt. Why is this area of space so fascinating and such an important area to explore further? Well, you know, the way our solar system is arranged in close to the sun are the four rocky planets. We call them the terrestrial planets, Earth and Venus, Mars, and Mercury. And then there's an asteroid belt. And then beyond that are the four giant planets, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. And everything from the sun to Mercury, past the Earth, all the way out until you get to Neptune, is really very much the inner part of our solar system. And the stuff that's warmed by the sun and that has evolved over time. Uh, many fascinating things to study about uh, planetary environments, what they can teach us about the Earth, about the evolution of the development of life. Maybe there, we know there are other places with oceans, maybe there are other places with life. But beyond that is this third zone, beyond the terrestrial planets and the giant planets is the Kuiper Belt, which is the leftover remnants of the formation era, this kind of archaeological dig into the history of our planetary mm -hmm. system. And it, this zone is far larger than everything else combined from Neptune all the way down to the sun. Uh, and because it's cold, as I described earlier, it's freezing cold, almost absolute zero. Things are just very well preserved. And because it's large, things are very spread out. They don't run into each other very often. And it, it is really a museum piece back into history four billion years ago. And that's the value of the Kuiper Belt 
is our ability to look back in time to understand the origin of our planetary system. Will it tell us anything about our home, Earth? Well, certainly it tells us things about the Earth. Uh, the formation of uh, planets like Pluto is related to the way that the Earth formed, and by studying ancient objects like Ultima will help us understand the origin of the Earth. But also, it's thought that a lot of the organic material that was the feedstock for uh, the early evolution of life, and a lot of the water that came to the Earth came from the Kuiper Belt. Uh, we've never had a spacecraft out there studying objects like Ultima before. So learning about the composition of that stuff mm. uh, and, uh, and how it may have evolved in the early days uh, uh, will certainly be instructive to, to helping us understand the origin of the Earth and the, the stuff we depend upon, the water and the organics, to make life. That is, that is fascinating that so far away from us, this some six billion kilometers away, we could get basically little parts of the recipe that made us. Well, sometimes you have to leave home to, to learn about it. You know, <laughs> right? I think a lot of us find that out, you know, when we emerge from our, our parents' cocoon. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, people who, um, who came to North America... Uh, as explorers, uh, learned a lot about uh, not only themselves, but about, uh, uh, about history and about the world by doing it, by going far away from home. So um, do you think that we will find any new planets out there with New Horizons as it continues on its journey? Well, I know that there are, over time we'll find many more planets in our solar system. I think that case is, is almost ironclad. But New Horizons... Uh, doesn't have the capability to search for them. We're good at going close to things that we know about already. And because of some technical limitations, the size of our telescopes are fairly small, and the bit rates that we can send imagery back, it's really best to search from the giant telescopes on the Earth rather than New Horizons. So I wanted to talk a little bit about you personally. I wanted to know how did what what are your origins in in the world of space science? How did you end up in this deep exploration of space that this area that you're in now? Well, when I was a little boy, uh, I used to watch space missions on TV, and I thought I want to be a part of that. <laughs> and uh, fortunately, I was good at science and math, and uh, and uh, went to school a lot, went to college, you know, and studied science, physics studied engineering, studied astronomy, eventually took a PhD in astrophysics, and I always wanted to be a part of pioneering space missions. And I've been very fortunate uh, in large measure because the Southwest Research Institute, where I went to work almost just within a year or so of getting my, uh, my doctoral degree, um, has presented so many opportunities and has been a place where I could uh, accomplish my dreams. And as a result, I've been on 29 space missions. New Horizons is one of them. Amazing. I've been fortunate to, uh, uh, to be principal investigator to lead on 14 of the 29. It's just been a dream come true. Did, could you have envisioned this as a, as a boy? Oh, I don't know what I would have thought. <laughs> I, I, if, if, if you would have told eight-year-old Alan that mm -hmm. someday you would lead a mission to explore Pluto, mm. I would have just started doing <laughs> somersaults or something. Who knows? This is beyond your wildest dreams. Probably, yeah. yeah. Uh, and you had no idea what the Kuiper belt was then or how it would impact your life. <laughs> it had never been, you know, really it hadn't been discovered. It was 25 years in the future, so mm. of course not. Yeah, of course not. So um, what is your biggest hope for this uh, next leg of the New Horizons mission of 
the Ultima flyby? My biggest hope is that it's successful because if it is successful, I think it really will teach us a lot, as I said, about the origin of, uh, of the planets uh, and to some extent about the origin of the material that's so necessary on Earth for life to evolve. Uh, but I also uh, hope very much that, that my team has the time to really savor it. It's so special to be a part of these very quick flybys, but uh, you know, you work for years planning it. And we, before that, we spent years flying across the solar system to get there. And before that, we spent years designing and building the spacecraft. And this has been, you know, almost a 20-year project. Uh, and many of the people on New Horizons have been on it the entire time. It's kind of a family. And uh, uh, we did all this to explore Pluto and the Kuiper Belt. And this is, it's showtime. It's showtime. <laughs> Definitely. Well, I will be thinking of you on New Year's Day and rooting for the New Horizons team. This is beyond exciting, fascinating, a huge mission for not just your team, but for the world, I would say. And uh, your big plans on New Year's Day is just to be watching that data come in. Yeah, and then uh, uh, trying to make sense of it for, uh, for NASA and the world because there's going to be uh, you know, a lot of press coverage. Uh, maybe you can be there. Yeah. Uh, I know that uh, uh, Southwest will be there in force. And, uh, uh, the, you know, there's not a lot of news usually being made on New Year's Eve. And certainly something this historic rarely happens on New Year's Eve. So I'm hoping that we can engage children to have an interest in science and engineering careers, that we can make people in our country and around the world proud of what human beings can do when they put their mind to it. Uh, and that uh, the knowledge that we develop is, uh, you know, the next brick in the wall of understanding just how all this came to be. So the timeline right now is New Year's Eve. There will be the approach. And then you said 33 minutes past midnight, the flyby will actually, the closest encounter will take place? That's right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And right. then the spacecraft will continue taking data for a couple of days as we fly away at high speed. And it'll start... Uh, uh, sending the data back on January 1st. As I said, that'll take a long time, over 18 months, maybe 20 months. Uh, so the timeline is actually pretty extended, but you know, it just means every week for 70 or 80 weeks, presents will be arriving from the Kuiper Belt by radio. <laughs> New kinds of data to open up and learn. Yeah, I love that. Little gifts from the, from the beyond. From New Horizons, that's yeah, right. Yeah, great. Well, uh, Dr. Stern, this has been a fascinating conversation. You're a true explorer of our time. Thank you for giving us this inside look into this fascinating mission, uh, New Horizons, making history for all of us. And we're ready to meet you, Ultima Thule, right? We are. <laughs> and thanks for your interest and uh, go New Horizons. Of course. And with that, thank you for listening to us today. Subscribe to the Technology Today podcast to hear in-depth conversations with the people like Dr. Stern changing our world and beyond through science, engineering, and technology. Hope you'll join us again soon.